Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This holiday season, AT&T is giving away $25,000 just for telling them what great LG products you want this year. Stop by a participating AT&T store and snap a selfie holding up the LG products you want to get, like the LG V20 with 5.7-inch HD display and direct TV app to watch live TV. Then share your selfie on Twitter or Instagram with hashtag Here's What I Want Sweeps or upload it to Here's What I Want Sweeps.com for a chance to win $25,000. No purchase necessary. Click the banner for rules and a list of participants stores. How fun was it to cheer for the Knicks in the 90s? What expectations do we have for this year's Knickerbockers? What kind of man has the balls to do a Rain Man impersonation in front of Dustin Hoffman himself? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Uh, Today I'm extremely excited to tell you about our latest guest, John Henson, who is joining us. And if you don't remember him, or you should, then you you had seen him on uh, as a host on Talk Soup, Wipeout on ABC, and a couple other shows you probably haven't watched. And he's also going to be coming on Worst Cooks in America on the Food Network. So, John, um, really excited to have you. Uh, what's happening these days? Uh, well, listen, uh, uh, you know, my Food Network show starts airing this Wednesday. But if believe me, if there were a worst hoops uh, uh, edition <laughs> of uh, a television show, I'd make that as well. So is it safe to say, do you play basketball? Not at all. Okay. Um, but you are a fan, it sounds like. Yeah, I, I, I'm a diehard fan. Basketball is uh, is is the the uh, the chosen sport for me and my household. You know, uh, I got little kids, so uh, I picked basketball because there's a very long season. Ah. Um, and uh, and you know what, man, uh, I I kind of I was reared on those '90s teams of, of the Knicks and New York City, and uh, a diehard Nick fan. And you know, it's uh, it's been a long, dark winter for Nick fans for a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. So uh, obviously, this is a year that uh, people are uh, are trying to make the most of uh, getting excited for the season and this squad. Well, this is good because I grew up in Chicago. In the you know '90s basketball, maybe a little '80s too, but um, certainly uh, being a Bulls fan, uh, I would have to say there were many a Bulls Knicks game that ruined Mother's Day and or Father's Day, um, where we would go sit through a the most intense grind of a game of all time, and I would ha- I swear to God, then we have to go out for dinner for either Mother's Day or Father's Day. And I swear, like, me and my dad would just be screaming at everybody in the family. It was just a horrible thing. Does it sound <laughs> it was, familiar? It was an exhausting uh, rivalry. And I, you know, I've told this story once before, but I, you know, I got so invested in those teams. I almost went to jail the night Reggie Miller uh, <laughs> scored uh, his, whatever it was, eight points and a nanosecond. Uh 
And uh, I was I was playing a, a college, small private college in Ohio, and uh, I lost it so badly that uh, they thought I uh, I had somebody in the room. I was staying in on campus housing, and they sent the police down to check on me, <laughs> and I had to explain to the guys. You don't understand, Matt. You see what Reggie Miller just did, and I explained it, and they let me go. Oh wow! It doesn't. It seems to me that you might have experience being able to talk your way out of things like that. Well, uh, that was probably as close as I've come to uh, winding up in handcuffs as a result of being a Knicks fan. But <laughs> you know what, man? Uh, we've had, you know, if you're a Knicks fan, you learn to take on all comers. Who was your favorite player from that era? Well, obviously, you know, I have a soft spot for Patrick Ewing. I, I think it's a shame that he doesn't um, necessarily get the credit that he deserves, both within the marketplace. You know, New York fans uh, are notoriously hard on their stars, and they had a love-hate relationship with Patrick. But, you know, when you look back and uh, and you think about how long that guy brought it and how uh, dedicated he was, how professional he was, never embarrassed the franchise, you know, um, and I, you know, one of the things that I really loved about those that that era is I, I felt like those were guys that had, you know, B plus talent that played with A plus intensity and they were able to will themselves to be greater than the sum of their parts through effort and toughness. And that, you know, that was a, a, a perfect fit for that city. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I hated them so much, but I, I, I respond to what you're describing as well in a way that I'm sure if I really studied the game, those games now, from my perspective as a coach now, I would, yeah, I would respect that and like it. The funny thing was is, you know, the most hated man in Chicago for those years was John Starks, I, I, I would right. have to imagine. But I liked him. I, I was the guy that would defend him because no one in Chicago wanted to acknowledge that he was actually good. And right. he deserved. He shouldn't be in the NBA. He, you know, he had tooled around for a while, like in the, in the original CBA, I think. And dude, he was bagging groceries. You're right. He was bagging groceries, and uh, and, and he was, you know, undersized as a two guard, all these different things. But I that I responded to him because, like, how, I used to remember saying, like, how many more shots does he need to nail in like Michael's face or anybody else's face before you accept that? And it was right. a huge argument for to the point where I, I still remember vividly having that argument several times. Uh, definitely my, my, like my favorite guy just because of what you described. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, when you look at footage of the dunk, you know, I, I really truly believe that guy suspended the laws of physics through sheer will, you know, because <laughs> it's a guy who just had no business being up that high. I, I wonder if he's ever been that high in his career. You know, as I remember, there was some contact as well. Where did he get a little extra elevation from, like the defender, or is that my? Am I he kind of he went over two guys, right? He went over Horace, wasn't it Horace? And yeah. uh, and uh, wasn't uh, was it Pippen? It wasn't Jordan, was it? I mean, it might have been like Cartwright. Like, I mean, you know, if only there was a, a thing that you could like type into and look up and watch thing on a screen. Oh we, yeah, yeah. We would be, we would <laughs> actually be able to yeah, do that. Yeah, no, and it, it just the baseline aspect of it, and it looked like. He was too far behind the basket. I mean, it was the whole thing looked like, uh, you know, it wasn't going to. But that was that whole era. I mean, I the only time I've ever cried during a basketball game was Larry Johnson's four point play. You know, Larry Johnson's four point play. Alan Houston's runner. I mean, that era for us was marked by some uh, very impactful plays that, you know, weren't in the finals. Yeah, okay, I, I just looked at it while you were talking, by the way, and it's it's mostly over Horace, 
maybe Michael kind of flies in their way at the end there. Um, but yeah, that, that was a crazy dunk. Now, let me ask you this, because you mentioned Alan Houston, and this came up on Twitter today, where someone was like, I should do a video comparing um, Clay Thompson to Alan Houston. People always talk about Houston having one of the purest strokes ever, you know, that he was, you know, such a beautiful shooter. And that was supposed to be the thing that was going to enable him to make that comeback a few years ago. And it was oddly private and short uh, lived. Um, nobody ever really discussed it. And uh, uh, But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'd be interested to just look at the footage because just because of how heralded he has always been. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, which is, this is all bringing back memories of. I mean, I remember there was a play, speaking of Houston, you, might, you probably remember, uh, the, the Bulls were up by one long downcourt pass with like three seconds to go, and Kerr, instead of grabbing it out of the air, just decides to tap it out, thinking the clock's going to run out, and it went right to Houston for a yeah, wide yeah, open, yeah, yeah, like 20-footer. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yes. Um, I mean, that it just, like, and that was just a, one of like a dozen kind of plays like that between the Bulls and the Knicks. Yeah, there were some really fun storylines, like even when the Knicks played Houston in the finals. I mean, you know, people forget that like Derek Harper was such a junkyard dog defensively that he, you know, he kind of shut uh, 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 Smith down. Like there was like talk that he had like ended his career. Like people were (laughs) like, I I mean, he just like owned him in the finals, you know, Mm -hmm. Um yeah, that was. It's also painful, and and, and you know, I I, I think uh, uh, Jordan himself, you know, acknowledged that if he had not been born at the same time as as uh, Jordan Ewing would have a couple of rings. But when you look back on that team and you think, you know, who was supposed to be his number two guy, John Starks? Like, you know, it, it's the fact that that team was as good as it was. The fact that it went to the finals four years apart. You know, uh, that that says something because he did it almost single-handedly. You know, I mean, it's good. It's a good point. The funny thing, I, well, the other guy, if, if John Starks is my 1A, then the 1B would have been Anthony Mason because he was the guy that I just he, he just I just would freak. Whenever he got the ball, it was, I didn't even want to watch because he was, he was that good and that strong, right? Yeah. He, you know, he was almost like the stretch four in a way. Without he was the original point forward, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pat Riley, I think it was the first time anybody had ever heard that term, you know, when he went down to Miami. Yeah, a point forward, yes. And uh, and he was just like, and you know, he just died recently, unfortunately. We don't get a chance to see enough of Anthony Mason's highlights. But, uh, you know, that was the guy who just made me cringe whenever he got the ball and started doing stuff. And so, so you know, there were pieces, you know, and, and they certainly were molded. But it's kind of weird because there are a number of players like that, and Carmelo sort of is in that realm now. Like, I don't think anyone in the last 15 years has had worse teammates than Melo, well, than Melo has, sorry, in, in New York, right? Right, no, right. No top, whatever you want to call them, top 10. No top 10 star has had worse star, uh, supporting cast than Melo has the last five years, I don't think. Would, that, would you right. agree with that? Uh, certainly, I'm sympathetic to that viewpoint. I mean, people excoriate him, um, but I, you know, when you look at what he did, I mean, just look at what he did last year, leading the team in points, rebounds, and assists. You know, it's hard to look at that and focus on what you're not getting from the guy. You know what I mean? When when he's when when you're working with 
you know, when you're starting Jose Calderon, when you're playing Sasha Vujicic, you know, meaningful minutes, I mean, um, uh, uh, you know, it was, uh, it, it was hard to watch, um, him do everything right, everything that he's being asked and still, you know, being heaped with the same criticism. It's frustrating as a Nick fan. Yeah. Well, and I think we, we connected over the, the, the triangle offense, you know, video I did. And, and, and what I noticed about, um, watching the Knicks run it was the frustrating lack of execution of, of the fundamentals, just setting up your man before you cut, setting a good screen in the weak side, little things like that, that, you know, a guy like Tex Winter, when he was there, would not let them get away with. And when you're looking at the, how the triangle has worked or not worked across the NBA since, you know, Phil and Tex were together, it, 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 while it's not, you can say it's not Phil, I think it's also not Tex, the guy that, inter, that, that invented the offense, and so the question there is, is like, okay, were they doing it because they wanted to lose games? Like, there was no incentive last year to do that. So right. um, anyway, so that was what I noticed about the, the real issue there was the lack of fundamentals. And I can only hope that maybe Hornacek comes in there and, and holds them a little more accountable. I'm curious to know, you know, to what extent you can uh, separate the wheat from the chaff in terms of uh, simple um, effort and execution and uh, a lack of athleticism. I mean, we our guard play was so bad last year, it, defensively and on offense. I mean, the the without dribble penetration, it, it, it you are fighting uphill you know what i mean and 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 i can see that bleeding into without you know it's almost like being without one leg of a of a stool you know what i mean and and uh, and so with that handicap i i wouldn't be surprised if it did affect their enthusiasm running it but it's not going anywhere so they might as well put some effort in um because uh you know, doesn't seem like Carmelo is going to take a ticket out of town. No, I, I don't think so either. I, I, and, and I think that, you know, looking – and they had some promise there because Jerry and Grant and Galloway did show a little bit of that athletic ability, certainly young and energetic uh, stuff. And I, and I liked sort of where they were going. And if I'm not mistaken, they got rid of Grant, right? He's not there. Yeah, and Gallo uh, left uh, for free agency. I mean, there's a there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of missing pieces. But you know, I mean, I think at best we were hoping that those guys were going to develop into you know serviceable role players or, or rotation guys. I, I you know, it, it's funny the same contract that everybody was bemoaning when we gave Robin Lopez. Oh my God, you overpaid this guy. He's mediocre. A year later, we trade him, and they're like, "What are you doing? You're trading away the." <laughs> Cornerstone. I mean, you know, I, I, I'd like to think, and maybe this is rose-colored glasses, that Noah's contract in a year or two is going to look differently the same way Rolo's contract looked differently a season later. And, uh, and uh, you know, so uh, we did have to give away some pieces, but, um, you know, I like keeping Lance. And, uh, you know, there's uh, if we can get one of the Cosmingus, uh, Willie uh, Herman Gomez kind of guys to uh, to develop, I'd 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 take uh, the reshuffling of the deck with the amount of cap space we have next year. Sure. Well, you know, and then the Knicks could do one of those commercials that we were going up where it's we've secretly secretly replaced Robin Lopez with Joe Kim Noah. Let's see if anybody notices. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, you know, uh, he's uh, you know, there, there's a lot of talk about the amount of toughness he brings, the leadership qualities and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I, I, there's so many questions. I think Nick fans 
fans are just excited uh, because we have, uh, to borrow a poker poker term, we have so many outs. You know, if if just one of a few thing things happen, we're going to be a, a, an interesting team to watch. And if a couple of them happen, we could be a dangerous team. You know, and and uh, it'd be great to get into that like six to eight seed and 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 go into that first round and and see if we can't steal a, a game on home court and make it interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's not a bad way to look at it. I think that maybe most Knicks fans are expecting more. It sounds like they want to be fourth or fifth, right? Uh, well, you know, look, Nick fans go right to the top of the cage in terms of, you know, in a perfect world, could we be a four seed? Yeah, man, I, I, my Nick fandom is sort of tempered with more uh, realism. You know, I think you and I talked about it. I'd be happy if they won anything 41 games or above, you know, and if they can, um, I, I think this is a season to like, you know, try to look respectable, try to show a system, try to make it look appealing for who you're going shopping for and try to suss out who's worth keeping between D Rose and Brandon Jennings and, you know, see what, uh, you know, what you can do in terms of bettering your team. You know, people talked about, oh, Phil's breaking his plan. He's, you know, he, he, one year in, he's reshuffling. That seems ridiculous to me. And I had made the analogy, again, a poker analogy that like, you got a chance to draw three cards, you draw three cards. Like every year you're trying to improve your team and the chemistry. And um, so uh, I think he's left himself as much flexibility as you can leave while still taking some home run chances. Uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, the Derrick Rose thing is going to be interesting, and that will probably be the linchpin here of whether or not they're going to do anything uh, significant. Um, although the other linchpin would have to be you know, Noah. If Noah could be healthy and get back to what he did when he was a defensive player of the year and probably the best passer out of the high post in the league, like those right. are two things that really drive well with like what Hornacek would probably going to want to do when we get a chance to see his offense. So, you know, it, this is it's time to be irrationally exuberant, right? This is our this is the this is the time of year where we could say that kind of stuff. And I get in trouble because the assholes on Twitter will find these tweets a year later right. <laughs> and tell me how wrong I was. So, so well, we'll see. You know, they talk about this being a league of adjustments, and I think you know, I, I think if healthy, our starting five, it, it could be pretty scary. You know, the question is what happens when people make an adjustment and take that away. What do we have in terms of second units and bench strength, and how well can we handle injuries throughout the season? That'll be what to me makes the difference between this being the I told you so Nick season or the Nick season that fans want. Absolutely. Well, you know. Before we started this, I didn't ask if it was okay to talk a little bit about your TV stuff, but sure, can yeah. we, you know, because because you know, I you know, you, you spent a lot of time with balls on Wipeout, but <laughs> what I want to ask you is, how did you have the balls to do a Rain Man impersonation in front of Dustin Hoffman? You know, that was uh, all improv, man. He was uh, that was really fun. He came on the show. We staged a hunger strike and got him on and. Uh, and he uh, he came in and we we had a script, but he wanted to just sort of take the script as a leaping off point. And and uh, so, I, yeah, I just uh, sort of threw it out there and he went with it. And uh, that was uh, that was a pretty, pretty exciting moment. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it definitely could feel the the improv in the air. Uh, you know, I used to do improv back in Chicago. Uh, and oh, nice. so, 
So I'm a big, and I'm always a big fan of seeing that that kind of reality. And uh, yeah, I, I, although it's just like, yeah, it's just you gotta have, you gotta, you have to be able to go for it to do that with him of all people. Because and I love it because if you haven't seen that clip, it's on YouTube. Uh, he goes, does it right back, and uh, and you know, if you close your eyes, it's not easy to tell who's talking. I gotta tell it's, you, I uh, it's a little, it's uh, it's dueling Rain Man, as we <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, dueling gay Rain Man, if you want to be accurate, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It is a little homoerotic. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so, so, you know, you, you, the the Talk Soup franchise, you know, was certainly you know uh, a long running thing with a lot of you know you had a lot of big shoes to fill. Um, so, what, what was that like? I mean, I guess you're, you're basically you are you setting in a green screen, right? There's now there's nothing behind you, and you're it, it, yeah. There is an audience though, right? Uh, no, no, there was not an audience. It was just crew guys sitting oh, around. Okay. People that you heard were just the guys that I worked with. And, and uh, it was a pretty humble little production, you know. And uh, uh, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I was a huge fan of the show and Greg Kinnear before uh, I came to the show. Um, but, you know, we were, uh, it was... It was the perfect mixture of like class clown mischievous. It was it was as if a bunch of guys uh, found themselves alone in a TV studio and uh, and said, "I wonder if we can get away with doing this before somebody catches us." And that was kind of, you know, the 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 battle flag of our uh, era of talk soup. We just kind of uh, it was the lunatics running the asylum. <laughs> well, you know what's funny about that is that you kind of it, it was ahead of its time in a way. Because this is the kind of thing you would see on YouTube now. And yeah, be a the original thing. way to get viral videos. Yeah. yeah. And so, because correct me if I'm wrong, but TalkSoup is no longer on the air, right? Uh, well, TalkSoup went away before they brought Joel McHale on. And then they brought the show back as The Soup, which was a, a, a similar but different franchise it was an adaptation so instead of it being about the talk shows it was about reality shows and anything online and um so they just sort of broadened the perspective of it and made it more current but yeah uh i think it's gone away now and um so, so you know, Mikhail the, just just drove it right off that cliff into a well mess, that right? guy you know he's uh <laughs> anything that guy steps into uh seems to succeed I, I think the world of him he's super talented very nice guy and and deserves all the success but yeah yeah, they uh, they folded the tent, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if they find some new way to bring it back because uh, it's uh, kind of been a staple on that network for you know more than twenty years. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, so how long did you do it for? How many seasons? I did it for four and a half years. I did about uh, uh, well over eleven hundred episodes. Oh wow, wow. So yeah, I mean, it's funny because uh, you know, did you feel like? You had any idea what you were doing in in the in the first you know however many episodes when you started? Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, I <laughs> no, I had no idea what I was doing, but I also was uh, uh, too naive to really second guess myself. I mean, I was just so happy to have a job, and it the whole <laughs> show had a whole kind of like let's put on a show in the barn. My mom made costumes kind of vibe. Like it just seemed very humble and sort of jury rigged. And, um, and, uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we, <laughs> we never really knew what it was going to look like. And, and the pace of production didn't really allow for a whole lot of laboring over it. Like you just moved on and went to the next show, you know, cause we were doing, 
two and a half hours of TV a week. And, uh, so it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot. Is it three hours of TV a week? It was four half hours and then an hour. So yeah, it was three hours a week. So how, like how three long? writers. I mean, it was, you know, how, how many writers? Three writers okay. when I got there. Wow. And, and you would probably be the fourth writer, right? The fourth. Yeah. Year? But I mean, like you dude, you look at the staff of, you know, the soup, probably had i don't know i'm guessing eight or ten writers you know that were all guild for whatever they did a half hour a week or an hour a week i mean it was a lot of it was a lot of heavy lifting man it was a lot of you had to crank it out so like how many hours how how long would you have to prepare each show well you know we'd work on the script like we'd be prepping you know like uh monday we'd come in and shoot but then you know we'd be prepping the show for the next day and then when you got in you know you got a script you got in in the morning you got a script and it was very much like hey if you know if that joke isn't working for you then write another one because we're shooting in 45 minutes and it was so it was it was very much kind of like gun to your head pressure in terms of cranking it out and then you know, oftentimes when we went into the studio, whatever we went in with in terms of a script became uh, kind of subservient to whatever felt fun in the moment. And we never hesitated to, like, you know, break the play and improvise. And um, so it was, yeah, it, w- it was a dream come true, man. It was just the best. So so you were kind of like the mellow of Talk Soup here, where, like, you're right, bare bones. Not, you didn't have a lot of superstars on your team. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I'll tell you this, man. I came into a very well-run unit. I mean, those guys had been doing all of uh, Greg Kinnear's era, so they made it uh, easy for me. I just had to sit back and and uh, try to write some funny jokes and uh, and and read them without laughing, man. And uh, uh, yeah, it was. We're all still good friends to this day, and uh, I, I love those guys, man. We're sort of bonded for life. Well, so and your background then is in stand up and that's where you is that where yeah. they spotted you to, to cast you in the show? That's what I was doing when I got Talk Soup. I'd been doing stand up in New York City and uh recently just sort of went back to stand up and uh I'm working in LA now and traveling a little bit around the country, uh headline and uh, around the country. But uh yeah, uh you know, I'm at the Laugh Factory here in Los Angeles every week. Um the improv. I got a show coming up at the comedy store and so um yeah, man, just trying to stay busy and uh, and uh, you know not cut my fingers off on the Food Network. That's uh, there. I will tease that there is a, a a trip to the emergency room at some point during the season. I can't say any more than oh, that. Oh, okay. Is that you know what they say? Red is green. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is um, uh, uh, to to coin a, a very old uh, wrestling phrase. Uh, okay, so. Um, so stand up. So you started out in stand up, and you're back to your roots in stand up. Um, you know, was that easy for you as well, or was there a whole? You know, did that take a while to get comfortable doing that? Uh, well, stand. I you know I don't know that stand up necessarily comes uh, 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 easy to anybody. It's a little counterintuitive. You know, nobody uh, nobody necessarily looks at a. Uh, crowded club and you know things i think maybe i will get up in front of 400 people and try to make them laugh um but uh but yeah i i it was a passion of mine and it was something that when i started i was like oh man i'm gonna do whatever i need to do to get good at this and and um you know i think uh kind of with any pursuit um you know there you you have a uh 
delayed gratification where you have to really work at it really hard for a long time before you get good enough to really, uh, you know, uh, um, enjoy what you're doing. And, and so, uh, a lot of guys, uh, and women don't make it over that hump and stand up, you know, you got to like really eat crow for, you know, two, three, four years before you get good. And I was fortunate enough to make it through that time. And, and it led to a bunch of other television for me, but I love doing stand up, So it's been a lot of fun going back to it. You know, is, is there any way to prepare yourself for the moment when you tell your what you feel is clearly the funniest joke you've ever written, and then and nobody laughs? Uh, you know, man, uh, I it, you see it the equivalent of it every night when uh, you know Derek Rose jumps to pass and that guy isn't oh, yeah. where he expected him to be, and he walks back up court looking around, going, "How, how did that happen?" You know, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, part of being a comic is. Uh, failing, you know, and and uh, and you're gonna, you're, you know, e- even the best comics are gonna eat it every once in a while. It's kind of like uh, par for the course. I, you know, that's a great analogy. The show must go on. You turn the ball over. You got to get right back on D and get it back. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then I guess you can kind of you get hot as well, right? Even like the, the the littlest throwaway thing could be hilarious after enough jokes in a row. Yeah, I mean, there really is uh, there there is a zone in comedy. You know, you can get in the zone, and uh, and the game slows down for you a little bit, and you're sort of in the matrix, and you can see it all <laughs> unfolding. You know, um, yeah, I've definitely uh, experienced that. Um, but you know, I think that kind of comes with doing uh, anything that you love, and and um, you know, uh, you, you try to uh, you, you try to uh, you, you know, like anything, you, you, it takes you a while to get good at the basics, and then you sort of move up a level in terms of difficulty and subtlety of your appreciation of what you're doing. And and uh, and I, you know, honestly, Nick, that's why uh, uh, you and I connected. As I reached out, saying, you know, that I actually feel like I'm learning from watching the videos because, as a guy who didn't play organized ball, um, you know, if you want to break through. Uh, that sort of cursory knowledge of the game, you kind of got to apply some time and really concentrate to try to understand why people make these cuts and what that player movement leads to and how that action unfolds. Because, you know, I have a, a greater depth of appreciation for the game when I watch it. Wow, cool. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's what people have responded to. It's been really great to have this space to do it in where, you know, 15 years ago, I couldn't, this wouldn't have happened. You know, it's an amazing time right. where we live in, right? Where, you know, and, and it's led me to all sorts of crazy experiences with like, you know, I, I was in the court Jerry West last year, like guarding him while he's showing me footwork. I mean, crazy wow. stuff. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, it's amazing. I mean, I think the internet has kind of, um, uh, 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 challenged what people would, uh, what you would consider sort of the linear progression of a career where you start at the bottom and learn each rung and work your way up because now you have the ability to reach an audience and, and just sort of backdoor cut your career and, and, <laughs> and go right to, uh, to the top, you know, kids that, 
uh, don't need to get into television now uh, at a PA level. They can use their smartphone, get three million followers, and all of a sudden they're off and running. They got a career. Now you're making me feel terrible because I was that PA for all those years, driving cube trucks and uh, and in the vans uh, and everything. Dude, I'm the same way. I'm like, it's really great that you guys came up with all this right after I just spent 25 years learning the industry from the ground up. That now we're gonna decide. You know, I feel like uh, Jaleel Oak. For. Wait a minute. <laughs> Nobody wants a big man anymore. He's just going to pound the ball into the ground and slam my back into you. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, if we can get on, if we're still on the get off my lawn routine, then, then uh, I was hanging out with one of my best friends from college. We had a local access TV show that was all sketch comedy. It was basically, remember Tom Green? Yeah. It was, it, we were doing that like two years before he was. But they didn't have any way for us to, you know, besides this, you know, local access in Madison, Wisconsin to show it to. So, right. uh, you know, we were just lamenting that. Uh, but, uh, but again, here we are in this long um, slum, slumdog millionaire style of, you know, circuitous journey to get to where we're going. And it all, it yeah. all means something, right? Uh, yeah. By the way, I've spent a fair amount of time in Madison. Uh, my uh, my old co-host John Anderson is uh, from Wisconsin, and I've uh, done his uh, his charity up there and uh, uh, spent a little time up there. It's really nice. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's you know, it's a really good college town. In fact, I think it was like the best college town they've voted at some point. Certainly the the best party school at some point in that in those era. Uh, although again, I miss that as well. I miss the coked out, crazy '80s stuff, right. you know, because I, I got there in 1990, and everyone's like, "Oh, you just missed it, man." And yeah. that, 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 by the way, it doesn't even sound that good, but they made it sound good at the time. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and, and from what I'm hearing uh, now, adolescents are among the most depraved Roman uh, kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> completely uh, cut loose people. Like, I miss that period. I miss free love. I miss this newfound, uh, you know, hypersexuality. It's like we, we just sort of slipped through the cracks, you know? Uh, you know, every day I think that. I mean, how old are your kids, by the way? Uh, my kids are five and three. All right, so like my daughter just started seventh grade, so I'm I'm getting those emails and those sexting whatever in seventh oh, grade yeah. stuff, and um, and so yes, I, I can only imagine. But but to 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 take it a less personal, yes, there's no question that there's a whole world out there that we got to miss, and um, right. and uh, you know, oh well, I guess we'll have to somehow uh, you know come up with another way to overcome those issues, right? <laughs> uh, listen, uh, you know, just uh, all the resentment just is fuel for the comedy fire I live off of. It, yeah. so. Oh, you know what? That's why I don't like Russell Westbrook. <laughs> What's that? Because he got to live this crazy life in college that I didn't get to live with all the... Oh, yeah, that's fair. That that's must fair. be exactly what it is. That's fair. Well, uh, well, listen, man, we'll have to circle back around once the season starts so we can see how the rubber meets the road with this new squad and how it's all coming together. Absolutely. Uh, let's definitely do that And because uh, I'm always want to check up on my Knicks, on the Knicks, your Knicks, and see how they're doing. Um, certainly there's the name parallel. So, uh, yeah, I'm mixed to see because I'm on the line here. I did a breakdown uh, a month ago about Rose and Hornacek, and I was pretty positive in it. So, yeah, listen, I'm hopeful. I think, uh, look, if we can, I, I still go back and say, you know, 60% of Derrick Rose is three times Jose Calderon. Uh, yes. Uh, to quote uh, Chevy Chase, I was told there would be no math. But yes, <laughs> yeah. I can follow that. 60% um, of Rose is 
three times better than Calderon. Yes, let's. Uh, that will be the quote in the Twitter. You know, when we when we do the uh, the link out on Twitter for this okay, podcast. Okay, good. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so, well, thanks for coming on the show, John. I really appreciate it. Uh, if you're in LA, you got to check him out at the Comedy Store. Uh, tell us again when you're uh, preparing. Uh, I'm at the Laugh Factory, oh, Laugh Factory. Uh, pretty Excuse much me. every week when I'm in town. They do the schedule week to week. But the Food Network Worst Ho- uh, Worst Cooks starts airing uh, this Wednesday. All right. Well, we'll definitely check that out. And I might you know, have to get over there to, uh, to check out one of your sets. Cause, uh, yeah, please. I'm, You're I'm, welcome anytime. I'm down the road. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks right. again. You got it. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel. We're a conversation. You in? When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And with help from Albertsons, it doesn't have to be the most stressful. Stop in for great deals on holiday favorites so you can stretch your budget and celebrate more. Pick up fresh, boneless, skinless chicken breasts or thighs, just $1.59 a pound when you buy a value pack of three pounds or more. And get General Mills cereal 10.7 to 13 ounces, selected varieties, $1.57 when you buy two. Tastier meals, sweeter deals, happier holidays. Albertsons, it's just better.